Good morning. It's great to be with you. It's a great privilege to open up God's Word on this very special celebratory day in the Christian calendar. Uh, For those who may not know me, my name is Steve Abbott. Welcome to all newcomers. Welcome to those who may be online for the first time. It's great to be together. Please keep that Mark's Gospel open if you've got it, um, because I will be making reference to it as we go along. I'm going to start this morning by asking you to pray with me. A very simple prayer. Uh, You may be someone who's been following Jesus for years and years. You may be someone who's still exploring faith. Um, Wherever you are in the spectrum, I'm going to ask you to say a simple prayer. Just be open to saying to God, Lord God, speak to me today. That's a simple prayer. And I invite you to say that with me as we turn to this the very heart of the message of the Christian faith this morning. So let's pray. Lord God, speak to me today. I want to begin by reading a poem. Um, I'm not normally one to quote poems, but I'm going to quote this one. Um, Because I think it helps us transition from Good Friday to Easter Sunday in a fairly helpful way. The poem is called, And Then There Was God. The whole of mankind railed against Christ. The Jews who despised and delivered him, the Romans who mocked, whipped and slayed him. Yes, the whole of humanity crucified Christ. They brought all their force to stop the man's course and when they had finished, his life was extinguished. The world said, it is done, at last we have won, we are rid of this pest. See his tomb where he rests. Human justice did burn, so no more disturbance. Now life could return to its normal occurrence. And then there was God. The very existence of Christianity hangs on that last line. And then there was God. The creator reversed the ultimate statistic. One out of one dies and that's all she wrote. On the Sunday morning after his burial, on the Friday afternoon, Jesus was raised to life. Death defeated. Or as the late great evangelist John Chapman referred to Resurrection Sunday, up death day as only John could. The Bible itself hangs everything on God's activity in raising Jesus from death. So we read in a letter to a first century Christians in Corinth, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Do we hear that? No resurrection of Jesus means that Christianity is futile and Christians are past the Bible's own testimony. So are we gathered today as a people of resurrection faith? I vividly recall my father coming to me. He was around 50. I'd given him a version of the gospel um, to read and to explore 
and he faced me in the hallway of our home and gave it back to me and said, no one can rise from the dead. And I knew that was no point in getting in an argument. (laughs) You walk away. 30 years later, my father was diagnosed with mesothelioma, which is an asbestos cancer of the lung and given six months to live. So began a journey for my 79-year-old father to explore whether Christianity was true or not. It wasn't an easy road. He didn't just automatically switch on, I desperately need God. It was rather an exploration. Six months before he died, he became a believer in the resurrection. And I'm so glad that he did. And I would be great if everyone I knew came to have resurrection faith. Why? Because apart from trust in Jesus, there is no life beyond the grave. No life with the compassionate, loving and generous Father God for all eternity. Well, on Friday, we left Jesus in the tomb. Death is the great leveller, isn't it? It's no respecter of persons. Death's who's who list includes prince and pauper, politician and prostitute, preschooler and pensioner. Death robs us of relationships, of touch, of smiles, of conversation and joy. It brings pain and deep loss. It can unhinge and deprive of sleep. It yells in our face, you can't escape. You aren't in control. You might put me off for a while, but sooner or later, I'll come knocking at your door. You see, all roads don't lead to Rome. They lead to death. Good to come to church and be encouraged, isn't it? (laughs) Well, we'll get there. Be of good heart. Woody Allen may joke, I'm not afraid to die, I just don't want to be there when it happens. And some of you may be old enough to remember an old comedian named W.C. Fields. On his deathbed, he was flicking through the Bible and a nurse came into his room and said, what are you looking for? Loopholes, my dear, loopholes. (laughs) Woody Allen will die. And W.C. Fields' grave testifies there are no loopholes. As does the words of a 17-year-old's gravestone, Drugs gave me wings to fly, and then they took away the sky. Every day, you and I stand on the precipice of eternity. Why? Because we don't know when we're going to die. Embracing a resurrection faith, a trust in Jesus, as the death defeater, can transform life now and beyond the grave. Christianity following Jesus is the best way to live and it's the only way to die with any hope. But can we be sure Jesus did rise from death? Let's see how Mark seeks to persuade us. The first thing we note is what happened according to Mark? Resurrection fear. Now, I've taken many funerals in the course of my 40-odd years of ministry, 
and uh, it's, it's an observation that's universal, that people want to make sure the funeral is respectful and well-organised and reflects something of their concern and love for the one who has died. It has ever been so. So it should be no surprise to us that a, a newish follower, Joseph of Arimathea, on the Friday, and a number of adoring women, disciples on the Sunday, are concerned to make necessary funeral arrangements for Jesus. With hearts breaking, all their hopes for Jesus dashed, they will ensure the body of their former master and teacher will be treated with respect and care of one who was much loved while alive. The death certificate had been given by the experienced centurion. So permission was given for his body to be handed over and buried. It's clear that the activities of both Joseph and the women were those of people adoring a dead Christ, a dead Jesus. They had no expectations of what was to unfold. The women arriving at the tomb early on the Sunday morning to finish the embalming process discovered to their surprise that the tomb was opened. Now the stone was rolled away from the door of the tomb not so that Jesus could get out, but so they could get in. And go in they did, only to find not the body of Jesus, but a messenger from God. They were, of course, terrified, astonished, dumbfounded, gobsmacked, if you like. Why a messenger? It was absolutely necessary. An empty tomb of itself only raises the question, where is the body? It's open to any number of solutions or interpretations. Uh, maybe someone stole the body. Maybe we've actually come to the wrong tomb and we've got confused in our grief. So God provides a word of explanation and revelation in sentences 6 and 7 of 16. Do not be afraid. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, the one who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. Look, the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going ahead of them into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Normally, graves have written epithets. Jesus has a divine messenger. Epitaphs often are quite interesting and they actually give you insight into something about the people who've been buried. Here's a couple. The children of Israel wanted bread and the Lord sent them manna. Old clerk Wallace wanted a wife and the devil sent him Anna. I wonder what that marriage was like. <laughs> Here lies an atheist, all dressed up and no place to go. The words heard at Jesus' tomb stand unique in history. He is risen. He is not here. He is risen. He is not here. There was no body, no remains, as in all other graves. 
Do you notice how the heavenly messenger took great care that these women thinking were thinking clearly? Let me paraphrase their words just a little to help get the point. Stop being bewildered, he says. You've come looking for the crucified Jesus. You're in the right tomb. But as Jesus himself explained, on the third day, he will rise. Look over there where his body has been placed. It's empty. Now go and tell those broken and troubled disciples, especially Peter, who was distressed over his denial. Go and tell them that Jesus will meet them in Galilee, as he said. Now I reckon Mark could have closed his gospel account here with a divine declaration, a fitting climax, but he doesn't. He mucks it up. Well, it appears like he mucks it up. Because the ending is quite a puzzle. In verse 8 he says, The women then exited the tomb and fled from it. Fear and utter shock overtook them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Why does Mark end in such a way that appears so indefinite and disappointing? It's not how I would have ended the gospel. Can I suggest two reasons that are very powerful? When you read a novel, um, particularly if you're like my wife Sue, um, you like the last chapter to wrap everything up. So there's no loose ends, right? That makes it neat. There's a sense in which, you know, that's what I'd hope Mark does. And in fact, it doesn't look like it, but it's exactly what he does. If you've read through Mark, you'll have picked up some themes. You'll have noted some things. See, this is the conclusion of a book. You don't just read the end. You've got to read the, the book. And throughout the book, there have been occasions when Jesus has done divine things, things that no human being could do, and he's done them in public. He stilled a storm by speaking. He cast out evil spirits out of a person who was abusing themselves and abusing other people and calmed him, transformed him. He raised a 12-year-old little girl, the daughter of Jairus. And on a mountain before some of his disciples, his veil of humanity was lifted for a moment and they got to see him in his true person, the Son of God, in all his glory. And in each of those occasions, language is used which is identical with the language used here at the resurrection. Astonishment, fear, gobsmacked words. Mark is telling us, when, the, when this closes and the women are fearful and not saying anything, that then there was God. This was a God activity, a divine activity, the only way it could be explained. Crucifixion on Friday, and then there was God, resurrection on Sunday. In the Christ, death has died. Here we have an encounter with the almighty creator. The second reason I believe Mark ends it like this is that this was meant to be a gospel tract. It was written so people come to find faith in Jesus. And it finishes with an intriguing question. This is how the women initially respond. How will you respond? What do you think 
of this Jesus. At the cross, the world gave its decision. Earth's courtroom said no to Jesus being God's son. At his death, an objective observer, the centurion, just doing his job, had given Jesus his yes. Truly, this man was the son of God. And now at the empty tomb, God has given his yes. The courtroom of heaven has pronounced its verdict on the crucified Christ. He was innocent. He died for the world's guilt, not his own. He is the risen Lord. He is the Son of God. Yet it remains to be said, the initial reactions of being dumbfounded and afraid before Jesus' resurrection may, for some, not be a convincing case that Jesus rose from death. Beware of hasty decisions, though. Let's ponder Mark's account more carefully. Why we should believe Mark? Resurrection facts. Just over 200 years ago, English settlement um, landed in Australia. We know that that story is not all good news, particularly for the indigenous population. But the fact that it happened has been documented and most people believe it without question, particularly since we're living in the country and most of us are white. (laughs) Not all, of course. But why believe it? You weren't there. How do you know it happened? The sketches and paintings that depict the events could have been manufactured, documentation embellished and falsified. But of course, that's not our response. We believe it happened. We accept the evidence is substantial to support the history as it has been recorded. Would the history change if it was now 2,000 years old? No, of course not. And I would want to argue the same is true of the events surrounding the birth, life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The fact that these events are 2,000 years old does not change their truthfulness nor their reliability. Indeed, I would argue that at every turn, Mark's account has the stamp of truth written all over it. Look at four little aspects quickly again. First doubt you could have, Jesus died so quickly. There's a theory that some believe that he died quickly. He didn't really die. He swooned into a deep coma. And then in the cool of the tomb, his body was refreshed and uh, he then opened the tomb and left. That's the doubt. The fact is, centurions were professional men who knew their business. He, the centurion, an expert on crucifixion, said he was dead. And by the way, if he wasn't dead, the the centurion would be next to be crucified. That was the consequence. Doubt two. Women as the first witnesses to the resurrection. Please understand we're talking first century here. And in the first century, this was a troublesome and inconvenient detail. For women's testimony lacked value as hard evidence in the court in the first century. It would not be validated. Yet here it is. Here's the fact. If you were inventing this faith, you would never have done this. It can only be explained by the fact that this was the way it happened. 
Mark's a truth teller, not trying to pull the wool over our eyes. He's speaking the truth. Doubt three. These loyal disciples are presented in a very poor light. They had no expectation of Jesus rising from death, even though he had spoken of it three times during his life. You can read the account. These supposedly sympathetic women to the cause of Christ had to even be persuaded, almost forced, to believe Jesus was alive. That's the doubt. Fact two, three, if this is a made-up story to convince Jewish people that their Messiah has come, it would have made no sense to discredit some of your star witnesses in this way. Doubt four, the strange and unusual ending of Mark's Gospel. The women again are presented in a poor light. They don't obey. There's no great victorious faithful ending. The, the fireworks aren't going off. It's just they run away and hide. Fact four. Mark told the truth. There are no embellishments and he believed here was enough evidence to convince us of the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Of course, the fact we have these details now indicates quite clearly the women did in the end go and tell. Otherwise, we wouldn't have known this bit of information. However, I still suspect the reason some don't believe is not because the evidence of history is suspect. It's because they don't want it to be true. It's an inconvenient truth. For you see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a game changer. It means that you and I have to change our life. If someone rises from the dead, you've got to take it seriously and say, what about me? What does that mean for me? How does that change the game? The reality is that Mark's account has the stamp of authenticity all over it. Therefore, we should embrace resurrection faith, how Mark would have us respond. Again, the late John Chapman tells the delightful story of a teenager who was sharing his faith outside Parliament House house, several years ago. He was handing out John's gospel tract called What is a Christian? And he had a big banner which read, Jesus is alive, which just goes to show you can't keep a good man down. The teenager had resurrection faith, proclaiming the message that Jesus was alive. The appropriate response to the staggering news, death has been defeated and Christ is risen, is to announce it. The news that when death stung Jesus, it stung itself to death, is to be shared with the world. For the disciples, it meant forgiveness and a call to a fresh discipleship. Out of the ashes of defeat and death would arise a powerful phoenix of faith. Christianity would blossom and not even the gates of Hades and hell and death would be able to stand against it. Two of our children and therefore grandchildren live in Mollymook. After the fires in 2019-2020, Sue and I drove down to see see our families. On the way down, we were eyewitnesses of the devastation of the fires and the way that trees had just been burnt to the ground and others completely scorched. To the uninitiated, the forest looked ruined for life. 
but within days, new life springs out of those trees. And there are new leaves and new and fresh growth. God has built into very creation that out of death can come life. So the rising of Jesus spelt life where death had been. Victory where defeat seemed conclusive. Now we cannot view the resurrection in isolation from the crucifixion. Easter Sunday declares that Good Friday was good. The cross of Jesus was in reality God standing in for us, experiencing our guilt, bearing our judgment. For unlike Jesus, we aren't innocent but guilty. We act and we speak badly, hurting others. We make misguided choices. So Jesus provides a means of forgiveness and absolution. But to return to our young friend with the sign, Jesus was more than a good man you couldn't keep down. He was, as Mark stated in the very opening lines of this book, this account of his life, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's what this book's about. This is the person Mark wants his reader to understand. Knowing him as Jesus means you understand he was a man who walked our planet, who understands what it is to be a human being, to grieve, to experience pain and loss and, and, and rejection. As the Christ, he's God's promised rescuer. He, he's, he's the continuity of the Old Testament, going right back to creation. There's words about a person who would come and rescue humanity from the depths of our darkness and sin. And disobedience. He is the Christ. And as the Son of God, He is the one from heaven who alone came to our world sinless and therefore, as a sinless one, could take our place and become like a spiritual sponge, sucking in all our evil and cleaning it away from us. The cross wasn't a fraud or a pretense, says the resurrection, it was effective. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Some years ago, this, is, this story is in a, with apologies to Daniel, um, the dentist amongst us, well, one of them anyway. I went to a dentist uh, many years ago and I had a fairly um, big hole in a tooth at the front and I had a needle, as they do, and they walk away and wait till it's numb. He came back, got the drill and started work. He was a fairly smart dentist because he realised that uh, I was still experiencing some pain since I was hanging from the ceiling. Um, sadly, there was a need for another needle, so another needle. The dentist went away again to give it time to work, but this time he was away a lot longer. He must have got distracted with another patient or whatever. By the time he came back and said, can you feel anything, a little poke, you know, under that mumbling vow voice I said I can't even feel my toes let alone my mouth <laughs> and he went away and did the job he did the job on my tooth the needles the second one was effective the death of Jesus was effective the resurrection declares it was so it guaranteed that if we trust in Jesus, we will not experience the painful effects of sin. The sin in, the, in, in us has been dealt with at Jesus' cross. Without the resurrection, the life, the death of Jesus, 
Though noble and admirable, his life and death are nonetheless overwhelmingly tragic events. But we gather today to remind each other that the tomb of our Lord is empty. Some of us have come to join our voices to that of the messenger of heaven. He is risen. He is not here. But some of you may not be there yet. What is the difference between a believer who overcomes in the face of death and an unbeliever who is overwhelmed in the face of death? The answer is trust. Faith in the resurrected Jesus Christ. A ministry mate of mine, Ed Vaughan, who once served in Ireland, provided me with an example of such faith. He wrote of a parishioner, Alison Hall, who was 99 and turning 100 in April of the 2006. When she does, she'll receive a letter from the President of the Irish Republic along with a cheque. She was keen to keep the cheque so she can donate it to a mission organisation. Alison has told her doctors at that time that she wants to turn 100, get the cheque, celebrate a birthday and go home to be with Jesus. And in that order. Now that's resurrection faith. That's the difference Easter Sunday makes when you stand on the precipice of eternity, which we all do. Resurrection faith doesn't just bring new and lasting life after death. Even now, Christians have new life with God. New priorities that lead us to tell the world Jesus is alive. A new refreshing life-giving attitude which says to others, come, others come before moi. A new life perspective that says relationships and people come before possessions and profit. Jesus brings new life. So where are you today? Does fear or faith, terror or trust mark our life, knowing of death's long shadow hanging over us? If you hope for something beyond death, is it based on superstition, wishful thinking or blind optimism? Where do you stand on Jesus' resurrection? The only foundation for confidence is trust in Jesus, the resurrected rescuer. A trust in the Lord Jesus who died on the cross and rose to life. Trust in Jesus is the only glue that binds us to God and provides a sure hope for eternity. And so this morning, I want to invite you to pray. I want to ask you to step into this relationship with Christ. If, as I've been speaking, God has been speaking to you, if something in your heart has been saying, this has got the ring of truth about it, can I urge you not to push that away, but to respond positively to it? And if you've been a Christian and your sense that you've been drifting away, can I encourage you to pray this prayer as a way of getting back on track to rededicate your life to Jesus? The prayer will be on the screen. It's got four part, three parts to it. The first one is, I'm sorry, I need forgiveness. I know that I've, I've feared the wrong things and I need to put my trust in Jesus. The second one says, I'm thankful. Thank you. There's a way back through Jesus' death and resurrection. And thirdly, help me. Help me to live under your leadership. Following Jesus isn't easy. It's just the right thing to do because it's true. So I will pray this prayer um, and I invite you to 
Say it with me. Just ignore the... Uh, oh, no, there it is. <laughs> what I'm seeing at the back isn't what you're seeing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, for too long I feared death instead of fearing and trusting you. Forgive me for this and all my acts of disobedience. Thank you for paying the ransom price for my sin at the cross. Thank you for rising to life so forgiveness and new life are guaranteed. Please help me to live a life of trust which honours you in every word and work. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, welcome to God's Forever family. Um, we'd love to be of assistance and encouragement to you. If you are not yet ready, but what's been said this morning has caused you to think about faith and whether you ought to explore it more, um, we'd love to know about that. And so we've provided you this morning and everybody else here with a card. And I'm, I'm going to ask everyone here, even the regulars of you who come all the time, to fill the card out as a service to the people who might be next to you who are nervous about doing it, and if they're the only ones doing it, might not do it. So if we all do it, everyone will feel comfortable. I'm going to do it. I've got a pen here. I've got my card. Here I tick. It says 10 a.m. Easter Sunday. That's when I was here. So if you get that out, there are pencils between the seats. Um, if you need a pencil, the pencils are between the seats. And we'd like you to then indicate, if you prayed that prayer that I prayed this morning, just a little while ago, that you tick the box, I prayed to start following Jesus for the first time. If you didn't pray the prayer, but you've been challenged this morning, then please tick the next box, I'd like to find out more about Jesus. It is helpful if you let us know how old you are, so we can provide the right sort of encouragement and support. Uh, then could I ask um, that you write your name carefully so we know who you are. I've done these cards over the years and you get some cards and you, you figure it was probably a doctor who signed this thing because we've got no idea what their name is. Um, but please print it, that would be really helpful. And tell us how you'd like to be communicated. If it's by email, give us your email. If you want a, a mobile phone call, if you'd like a, something in the mail, give us your address. You can fill the whole thing in if you'd like, but if you want to save time. And for those for whom those two responses aren't appropriate, on the back, you can say, you make a response about the Easter, about our message, and give us some feedback that might be of encouragement or about the music. Or you might just want to uh, let us know something. Maybe there's something going on in your family you'd like us to pray about. You could let us know that. You better put those in the boxes. Um, I want to encourage you to take time to fill that in now as the band is come up, coming out to play the next song. Even if you need to stay seated for a little while to finish it, that's okay. The rest of us will stand and sing. But take the time to fill that in because we exist to encourage people in Christian faith. Thank you for giving us your time this morning. <laughs>